Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. 1945 in Bedford Falls, New York. And George Bailey is suicidal. George Bailey's uncle Billy has gone to deposit $8,000 in the, uh, the, the bank, and $8,000 in 1945, I think comes out to right around $100,000 for us today, just so we kind of have an idea of what that is. And so this is for his building and loan business that he's trying to put together. But unfortunately, the, the deposit is uh, given to the, the evil villain, Mr. Potter, and things go from bad to worse for George Bailey. And there he stands eventually on a bridge in the middle of a blizzard, ready to jump into the river. He's looking at the waters below and he prays, dear father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you are up there and you can hear me, he begins to cry, show me the way, show me the way. George Bailey needed $8,000 more than he needed anything. That's what, that's what he thought. But what he really needed was to believe that God had given him a wonderful life, a life of purpose, a life that that genuinely helped others. But it's hard to believe that that's what you need when you're overcome with discouragement, when you're overcome with hardship. And I think we can probably all look at our lives. We can all look at our own experiences and find those times of discouragement, of loss. What if you don't have a clearance that, that comes beside you and, and shows you the, all of the things that, that exist in your life? What if it feels like all of the prayers that you have been, been praying are just hitting the ceiling? What if the only thing that you can hear in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your grief, is silence. And this is the situation that we find ourselves in this morning with the nation of Israel and the the passage that we're going to be looking at. And one couple in particular, 2,023 roughly years ago, is silence. Maybe there are some of you here this morning where the silence is just becoming deafening, where you're, you're begging, you're pleading, God, I need you to show up to move in this situation. Church, he's already there, but his timing is different than our timing. And sometimes as we see, there is silence. Let's imagine for just a minute. Let's just imagine that you've been given a promise. A promise that, that maybe didn't pertain to you, that it pertained to your family, that, that somewhere in your family line there was going to be royalty, that, that there was going to be a king that was going to come from your line, and that your family name was going to be great, and that you were going to be provided for, you were going to be taken care of, and it was going to be an amazing thing, and it was going to be such a shift from what you used to have. Imagine that that was a promise that was given to you. And now imagine that years pass 
Imagine that, that years pass and you still believe that this has to be true because it, it was a promise that was given to me and you start sharing it with your children because you start wondering, maybe I'm not gonna be alive to, to experience this promise and you share it with your children. You need to know that this is true, this is real, this is something you can depend on, you can build your life upon this. And so it gets passed on to those children and, and eventually you pass away. And, and then these children, they come up and they start sharing that same story. And, and this has to be true because it was a promise that was given. And it happens again and again. For 400 years, that promise is talked about. Imagine what happens when something takes that long to come about. What starts happening when something takes that long? You start questioning, is that what was really said? Did God really mean that that was what was gonna happen? Maybe, maybe it meant something else. And then we start kind of getting into that mindset of, of Abraham and Sarah. Well, maybe if, if I just go and marry my, my wife's servant and have a child that way, maybe that's what I was supposed to do all along. Or maybe if, if I pull this lever and push this button and, and say the words in the right order, maybe that can get God to do what he needs to do. Have you ever tried to convince God to do something? Normally it doesn't work super great. Let's read in Luke 1, 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. It's starting to kind of feel like a familiar story. Three weeks in a row, we've found ourselves looking at a family a husband and a wife that have been unable to have children. If we kind of put this into some modern terminology, they probably have been trying for many years. They've, I'm sure they, they've probably seen all, all the greatest doctors they could find at the time, whatever that meant for them. I'm sure that there were tears, sleepless nights, lying awake Asking God, why, why is it happening this way? Why is this happening to me? All of their friends had had children and now they're going on to have grandchildren, which obviously is a kind of an indicator that the time is running out. Zechariah and Elizabeth are starting to feel that dream that they've had, that dream of having children, that dream of seeing their family line move on. They're starting to see that die. And they start having this question of who is going to care for them in their old age? Who's going to look after them? Then there's the the judgmental looks that come from everybody else in, in towards them. In that culture, many in that community would have assumed that that was God's judgment on them for some sin that existed in their life. You can't have kids because you did something wrong. And so out of that comes shame. Out of that comes disgrace. But they had prayed to God and and in the midst of all of their sorrow, they're crying out to God and what was the answer that they received? 
silence. Just silence. Knowing God's silence was not just something that this couple was experiencing. The the nation of Israel hadn't heard God speak in like 400 years. There hadn't been a prophet that had spoken to the people of God in 400 years. These were the people that had been given a promise that there was going to be a Messiah. And, and instead, in these 400 years, the nation of Rome has come. They have started to occupy their country. There's no promised Messiah that they've seen. There's no glorious temple for them to worship in. The only thing that has happened is the Roman government has come and take, taken over. God, what about your promise? And I'm sure that there were many that thought that God had forgotten his people. Many Israelites must have just kind of picked up and said, you know, it's time to just go on with our lives. It's time for us just to do the things we need to do because God has forgotten about us. We have made enough choices that have separated us far enough from God that we just don't count anymore. You feel like that sometimes? It is so easy to get discouraged, to get to that point of, I have made so many bad choices in my life. I have done so many wrong things in my life that I am now disqualified from the love of God. I'm now disqualified from God keeping his promises towards me. Church, you cannot disqualify yourself from the love of God. The voices of, maybe it's time for me to build my career instead. Maybe it's time for me to focus on my family instead. Maybe I just want to survive in the midst of a Roman occupation. Maybe those are the things that I need to focus on instead of a a God who has been silent for 400 years. I mean, let's be honest, from the outside looking in, it makes a lot more sense to base your life on what you know and what you see on what you know is true, right? What you can taste, what you can touch. Instead of what you've heard about from your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents 400 years ago that the promise was made. But Zechariah and Elizabeth thought otherwise. They thought that God's words from long ago were something for the present for them to live and base their life off of today. When Luke talks about this couple, he says that they were upright. What does that mean to be upright? They were observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They weren't only listening to God's words from 400 years ago. They were doing God's words today. That's what it means to live in an upright way. Their lives were built around it. Their lives were built upon it. But did you know that even blameless and faithful and upright people struggle with their faith? That's good news. (laughs) That's good news for us today because I'm sure there are gonna be times where you're you're struggling a little bit. Say, God, is this really the way that we're supposed to be going. Even blameless and faithful 
people struggle to trust God's word, especially because what we want is that wonderful life right now, right in this moment. One that we can control with results that, that come instantaneously rather than results that we have to wait on. This morning as we go through this passage in scripture, we see once again that God is faithful to fulfill the promises that he makes. Starting at Luke 1, 8 through 25, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. I could see that. And gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. And he will be a, a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah wins the lottery. (laughs) I mean, this is the highlight of his career. Out of the probably around 18,000 priests, he has been selected to, to burn incense in the temple. And so while he's doing that, this, this angel appears, which isn't really a normal thing for those of you who don't know. Like that's not something that happens on an everyday Sunday. Um, so this angel appears and after Gabriel tells Zechariah not to be afraid, he says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I mean, it's possible that Gabriel's talking about two prayers here. You know, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth have been praying for, for a child for a while, right? That's, that's an important prayer that they've been praying, but they've been praying for something else because they have been upright. They have, have decided to build their lives upon the promise that God is who he says he is, that God is real, that God has, has something for them today. So maybe God has heard your prayer for the redemption of Israel. What child 
is this? We sing that song, right? What child is this? But in, in speaking about John, let's just say that the miraculous births of Samson, the miraculous births of Samuel that we've talked about up to this point, they're, they're setting the table for what we're going to talk about today. John was to be set apart just like Samuel, just like Samson. He was to be dedicated, set apart, consecrated to the service of God. But to take it a step further, John was the, the first to be filled with the Holy Spirit. From birth, the, the Spirit was upon him, the, the Holy Spirit was in him, and if we look back at the, the prophets of old, if we look back at, at the Old Testament prophets, God's spirit would come upon them for specific times, for specific events. He would come upon Samson and Samson would do something amazing. And then that the spirit would be lifted and, and Samson would be kind of just his self. But what we see here is John representing a, a bridge between God's promise and God's fulfillment. God's promise of, of 400 years of silence in the midst of all of that, God's promise is still true and, and John is the bridge from that to the, the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ. If we look at verses 16 and 17, John will turn God's people back to God. This turning is, is described in repentance when we think about what that word means. What does it mean to repent? It means to, to recognize that what I've been doing so far isn't working. What I've been doing so far is wrong, and I need to turn from that. Not just, I'm sorry, and I'm going to keep doing it. No, I, I repent, and I change my way, and I, I go to, to return to the, the right way. And in this case, turning God's people back to God. when we see what, what the angel Gabriel is talking about when it's talking about the ministry of John, this reconciliation that is talking about, reconciliation is just a, a big word for, for some, a relationship to be made right. And it's not just relationships being made right horizontally, family to family, father to son, mother to, to daughter. Reconciliation is going to be taking place vertically as well between the hearts of the people and their God. And John is that voice that is, is being sent to call the people back to God, just like every prophet that has happened since then. We, we have all of these instances in the book of Judges where we see the, the people of Israel making a choice to fall away and the judges are there to call them back. Long ago, the, the prophet Malachi had spoken of a messenger, a messenger of the Lord who would come like Elijah and would prepare the way for the Lord. And when this messenger comes, many of the people of Israel will bring back to the Lord their God to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And when he has prepared God's people, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord God Almighty. 
with the introduction of this prophet, this messenger that Malachi has foreseen, the Lord will come to his temple. The promise will be kept. In Ezekiel, the the Lord had left his temple. But Ezekiel also foresaw a day when the Lord would come back. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine? I mean, it it was one thing for Abraham to receive that promise. That would have been amazing to to receive that promise and to to have that promise confirmed and spoken about throughout the, the lives of the people of Israel. But can you imagine being the person that receives that confirmation that it's finally here? It's happening in your child's lifetime. Could you believe it? Zechariah couldn't. Zechariah couldn't believe it. But he knew that God had accomplished miraculous births before. He knew about Abraham and Sarah. He knew about Rebecca. He knew about Samson's parents. He, he knew about all of those things. He was familiar with prophecy from Malachi, but he also had an angel that was standing right in front of him telling him, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, and it's so easy for us to look at him and say, dude, how did you miss it? But let's be honest for a minute. If you've been waiting for 400 years, don't you think maybe you might also say like, are you sure? Because I didn't want to get everybody's hopes up if this is just like bad tacos from last night. Like I need to know that I know that I know that this is real. But we're called to believe. We're called to have faith. And Zechariah is disciplined for his unbelief. But even his discipline is a sign of God's favor towards his people. I don't think it's an accident that a people who have for 400 years been accusing God of being silent, that the discipline that comes from God is that someone is silent for nine months. I think that's just kind of God having a sense of humor in some degree. Like, watch. <laughs> because in the midst of all of that, what we see is Zechariah, yeah, he can't speak, but he's, he's still going about his daily life. He's doing the things that he needs to do. He's able to communicate in different ways. How much more so can the God of the universe function? God is not silent. He has spoken. And the problem is that all too often we aren't listening. Or we hear what he says, but we maybe just don't want to believe it. When we hear a promise that says that God has come to give us abundant life, we say, really? Because this doesn't feel like abundant life. The experience that I'm going through today doesn't feel like abundant life. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we say, what, what does that even mean? I, I'm wanting these things and I don't have them. So is, can I even trust what you're saying today? When Gabriel shows up and speaks the word of promise to Zechariah, 
it's not that the promise is lacking in any way. Gabriel didn't promise Zechariah like, hey, you're going to get some new like priestly robes and I have this like limited edition like scroll of Ezekiel for you to, to use. It wasn't like, hey, you're going to get some really cool stuff. The, the promise was amazing. The promise was the fulfillment of a promise that was given 400 years ago. You, you are going to have a child that is going to bring and turn the hearts of the people back to God. I mean, that's a big deal. But it was such a big deal that Zechariah couldn't even fathom it. God's promises have always been beyond human belief or understanding. We can't understand how or why God is able to do the things that he is able to do. But we can be thankful that he does what he says he's going to do. We can be thankful in the midst of suffering. We can be thankful in the midst of hardship that God is still with us. He is Emmanuel. He is a God who has come to earth to be with us in the midst of those sufferings. So God made a promise to send a great prophet to make ready the people for the Lord's coming. When you are tempted to doubt God's promises, look back at what we've talked about in the last three or four weeks. At the the miraculous conceptions of these three men, of Samson, of Samuel, and now John the Baptist. God worked in the miraculous. God worked in the medically impossible. God worked in the unlikely to bring about his purposes. And if God can do that in that time and in those days, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he can do that for you today as well. Luke 1, 57 through 66 When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. God had shown Elizabeth great mercy and had removed what what she perceived, what she felt was disgrace. But when the the day of circumcision comes, it, it gets a little tense because it all comes down to the name. It was the the father's job to name the child. But God the Father had already named the child for them. 
And we, we learn that name from the angel Gabriel that the, the boy's name is to be John. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth both know this. And Elizabeth takes her stand on God's word and says that this is what his name is supposed to be. But it still comes down to the word of the father. And so they, they go to Zechariah and Zechariah gets out his iPad and he says like, no, he really does need to be named John. And in that obedience, the, the time of his discipline is lifted and he's able to speak. He rejoices and he breaks out in prophecy in verse 68 through 79. There's, there's a lot of similarity between Hannah and Zechariah's joyful song. And there's a lot of similarity that we see in, in the naming of these children. The, the joy that both of these parents are, are experiencing isn't necessarily just because that they get to be parents after a long wait. You would think that that's why they'd be filled with joy. You'd think that is the reason that, that they are rejoicing because they finally have the, the thing that they've been wanting for so long. But it has nothing to do with their favorable change in circumstance. They, they were barren, now they're not. And, and that is something to rejoice for. But their joy is rooted in the fact that this child represents God's purpose. God's purpose is being fulfilled for God's people. That a time of silence is coming to a close, that salvation is here. That's why he's, he's rejoicing. And how did they know? Besides what Gabriel had prophesied, if we look back at what happened in verses 39 and 45, Mary came to visit Elizabeth while Elizabeth was, was pregnant. And if you look at verses 41 through 43, I'm not reading all of this because we'd be here all day if I did. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth right there in that moment that Mary was carrying her Savior. the fulfillment of a promise that they have been waiting for for 400 years is right in front of her. And she is blessed enough to see it. Joy to the world. Not just joy to that people. Not just joy to that family we're having a baby not just joy to a select few, no joy to the world. For the Lord has come to save his people, all his people. So Elizabeth's little boy was a joy and a delight to Zechariah and Elizabeth, not just because they had the baby, but because salvation was coming. The fulfillment of the promise was coming. What is your greatest joy? Here's a, a convicting thing. If you aren't really sure what your greatest joy is, your friends and your family probably know. You won't be there, but one day in the future, your friends and your family are going to gather at your funeral. 
And they're going to say all kinds of nice things about you. They're going to share about all of the joys that existed in your life. If your funeral was going to be tomorrow, would those gathered mention the joy that you took in God and his salvation? Joy to the world. We were dead in our sins, and yet God raised me to new life. That is joy. As Zechariah sings this song in verse 68, he has come to, he has come and redeemed his people, is the phrase he used. God has redeemed you from your sin. God has redeemed us. He has provided salvation. He has rescued us from judgment. He has given us the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin because of the tender mercies of God. He has rescued us, and because of that, we have joy. God keeps his promises, and because he keeps his promises, we can have joy. The joy of our salvation becomes something that just is an everyday event if we don't acknowledge Jesus for who he is. So we come together this morning. We come now and we celebrate and we, we bring worship to God because we, we remind one another that there is a joy to be had in our salvation. There is a joy to be had in being part of the family of Christ. At the end of A Wonderful Life, George Bailey and his family are all beaming as they, they sing this song called Auld Lang Syne. And I just learned that that's a Scottish. I probably should have looked it up because, I mean, how many of us have heard that song and how many didn't know that it was Scottish? Um, so it's Scottish for times long past. Zechariah, Zechariah when we look at the, the song that he sings, it's his own version of times long past. He rejoices that God keeps his promises from times long past, that the things that God says back then are always held true, that they are brought into fulfillment in God's perfect timing. If we use the, the film, It's a Wonderful Life, to the very end of this illustration, it, it rightly recognizes that money won't bring lasting joy, but the, the breakdown of this illustration is that family isn't going to either. You can't rely on your family to bring you lasting joy. You can't rely on your friendships or your, your, any relationship that exists here on this world to bring you lasting joy. Where does lasting joy come from? It comes from God. Those good gifts are not what ultimately bring joy. God has provided redemption for his people. He has provided salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is where our joy comes from. John the Baptist prepared the way for this king, for this son of God. Has my heart prepared him room? That's the question for us this morning. Has your heart prepared him room? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, you sent your son. That from the very beginning, when that choice was made in the garden to, to put our own wants and our own desires before you, between us and you, you already had a plan. A plan that was so 
outside of anything we could have ever thought of, asked for, or, or imagined. A plan that involved you sending your one and only son to live a sinless life on this earth, to come and be born as a baby, but not just to come and be born, to come and be born to live and to die for me. God, who am I? Who am I that you would be mindful of who I am? Who am I that you would be mindful of the desires of my heart and yet you give them to me anyway? God, we come this morning and we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the salvation that has been given as a a free gift. God, as we come to this time of celebration, maybe there are some of us here that, that just don't know what it is that we have to celebrate this morning. God, bring this to mind. Bring this to the, the front of our minds. This is the reason we celebrate, that there is hope in the midst of hardship. There is salvation in the midst of difficulty, that there is healing in the midst of sickness. God, we thank you. This morning, as we move to our, our time of prayer, as we move to our ministry time, If you have a need this morning, I invite you to reach out to those that are around you. We're gonna do this kind of in a different way than we have in the past few weeks. We're gonna just stay generally in our seats. If you need to kind of move around a little bit to to be with somebody else who has a request, reach out to somebody and we wanna pray with you. We are a church who, who believes that God does what he says, that God keeps his promises. God wants to bless. God wants to heal. God wants to restore. And we would love to be able to come and agree with you in that this morning. If that is a need that you have, we invite you just to reach out to those that are around you right now. If you would like to to stay and worship with us as we we continue to worship this morning, feel free. If you'd like to to fellowship, the, the front room is available to you. God bless you all. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 